welcome to the weekly Q&A. So these aren't meant to be long, they're not meant to be exhaustive, just if you have any questions, kind of this is my opportunity to try and answer a few of those for you. Kind of view it as the, those five minutes after class where you pick the brains of a professor. So this was just the first week. So there were a couple kind of uh, core questions around expectations, grading and everything. And I'm going to put those in the email for you so you don't have to listen to the whole video just to answer those. But there were three kind of questions that I thought were kind of warranted a further exploration, a kind of a, 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 kind of a, a minor little kind of deep dive into. So we're going to talk about three things very, very quickly. The first is we're going to talk about what is the greatest misconception of forensic psychology. The second is we're going to talk about what is my favourite kind of lecture or content within the course. And third, we're going to talk about learning during COVID. I'll try and be brief with all of them and I'll timestamp them below so you can jump into the question that interests you. So let's just get started with the first question. What is the greatest misconception in forensic psychology? I think the easy answer would be the idea of kind of the, the, what we're talking about in week one, right? kind of the, the, the boundaries of what a forensic psychologist can do. Um, I always think that's kind of the biggest misconception, this kind of idea of what we're able to do and the confidence of that. But I, I don't think that's just forensic psychology. I think most of science has to deal with this misconception, you know, the power and the boundaries of science. If I was going to talk about the greatest misconception of forensic psychology, I think what I'd probably say is the idea that forensic psychology is its own discipline. Um, if you look at the philosopher Stephen Tallman, he says that, you know, disciplines require a couple things. They require common language theories and conceptualization, common methodology and kind of a common group of people who all kind of work together. And if you think about something like political science or philosophy, these are kind of, you know, these are these are disciplines of studies. And and. And I don't think forensic psychology is a discipline. The psychology is the discipline and the subsets within it are then the disciplines that we go from. Forensic psychology is a domain. Right? It, it's the target of our study. And what we differ in is we differ in the lenses that we bring to that. And one of the conversations I remember uh, being involved in a few years ago was people were kind of ad advocating for this idea of kind of a, a dedicated discipline of the psychology of terrorism, that it was kind of this new thing and it required new theories. And, and I was very against it at the time because to me, that's a domain, right? Terrorism, extremism, whatever it is, that's the thing that we study. And you can study it as a psychologist, as a philosopher, as a political scientist, as a neuropsychologist, as a social psychologist. So I think that the, the biggest misconception is that forensic psychology is something that can be bound and and, and and kind of defined as a sole entity. And I, I think it's more than that. I think there's there's more people engaging in forensic psychology and it's broader and more diverse because of it. And I think in the first lecture, I either said it half as a joke or not, but, you know, I kind of, you know, I describe myself sometimes as a cognitive psychologist, a military psychologist and a forensic psychologist. But but no, they're not three separate things. You know, I study the military and I study crime the police and the perpetrator. And I would say I do it predominantly from a cognitive standpoint, which is I think about cognition and cognition being the, the kind of the mechanisms and processes that go on to lead to behaviour. So I think that that's the kind of the misconception that I, that I draw to it. Now, I think a true forensic psychologist, if you were to kind of do a course or a, or a master's in it, would be something that's far more clinical. But I think that the breadth of true forensic psychology is kind of an undefinable kind of collaboration of people who are interested in any area of crime and the human. So I hope that kind of 
maybe clears up kind of the size and scope of what we talk about when we use the word kind of forensic psychology or forensic psychologist. A second question is kind of, what's my favourite lecture during the semester? And to me, there are always two things that I look forward to the most. The first thing I always look forward to is weeks, I think it's five and six, where we look at the enhanced interrogation programme. And, and the reason is that that story, and I think the, the kind of the 10-year tale, tells you so much about psychology in the real world, because you see the kind of the, the organisational pressures that led to the use of psychology in the way it was used. And then you kind of couple that with this juxtaposition of kind of, um, kind of, kind of, what we think we know about how people behave and then how we were kind of talking about it. And sorry, I should clarify, I'm talking about kind of the, the CIA's torture program, which was kind of, there was a, a, a heavy role of, of, of two or so psychologists in that. And it led to uh, wide scale debate and everything. And in, in this course, we unpack kind of where the psychology and the psychologists went. And, and you look at the end result and you, you kind of, you think to yourself, well, well, it's obvious that psychology doesn't do that. Like, it's obvious that that's not how the, the mind works or how memory works or how interviews work. But because it was rolled up in this kind of post 9-11 world, we kind of found ourselves in this position. So I, I'm, I'm always excited to kind of challenge students thinking and, and show them the kind of the 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 kind of the the darker side of psychology and then the light that kind of came from it and the way in which psychologists have now studied this. And, and in week six, we kind of look at the, the what came next, right? And kind of the dawn afterwards of kind of validated empirically backed science. And I love that story. The second one that always, always I look forward to is our, is our lecture on crowds. And I think that it's now, I mean, it's probably now more relevant than ever. It might be more relevant than the than the torturing lectures now, kind of the idea of the psychology of the crowd. And one of the things that we're going to discuss is the kind of the not only the the psychology of a crowd. Right. So the idea that how a crowd changes behavior and where that goes. But in, in looking at the theory of it. We're going to see this really interesting kind of politicization of psychological theory about how narrative theoretical narratives of the crowd were used to kind of minimize their message and you'll still see those narratives today so i'm actually really excited about the crowd lecture um and kind of the kind of how we can think about that and i guess if i were to do one more one more that i think and this is going to sound a bit selfish but the decision making lecture is always one of my favorites not just because it's kind of one of my main areas but because i think it's one of the real lectures that you can learn something and take it home with you, like really apply it in your own lives, because the decision making work we do is all about how anybody can make decisions when they're faced with uncertainty. Right. And I think that we can all agree that we've you know, we've all faced uncertainty. And so I found myself increasingly using this kind of military and police decision making psychology, you know, to help friends decide, you know, when to have weddings, whether to move house, whether to change jobs, you know, whether to break up with partners. Right. They're all this. They're all the same kinds of decisions. The context is, is completely different, but the, but the structure is the same. And so that's one of those lectures that I kind of, I love to show students because you can really take something home with you and maybe it'll even help you make decisions in your own life. And I, I teach a course on decision making. Um, and I often have, you know, emails after the course of people telling me, you know, that, that like it actually helped and it helped them learn about themselves and learn about some of their tendencies. And I think that's really cool. It's just to be able to kind of, 
talk about something that everyone can kind of think about and use in the in the day to day and to be able to kind of show that link between kind of crime and, and police psychology and, and the things that we do every day. So I'd kind of say that if I were to pick three favourite children amongst the course, you know, I'd, pr I'd probably go with those and, and the order may change depending on kind of what's happening at the time. Um, and I guess the final question, just a kind of a, it's just a, uh, how can we all learn and, 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 and stay engaged during COVID? And I think I've got kind of two, two answers to this. One is, is my hope is that designing the course the way that I have helps students engage because it is kind of designed to, to try and, and, and be in the areas that you spend most of your time and to try and maybe kind of be able to listen to it in different ways and, in, 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 you know, integrate it into your own life a little bit better. I'm, I'm hoping that's helping. But to me, I think if I had to give one answer, it would just be honesty. I mean, I think I think that, you know, a, a few of the students I was speaking to kind of at the end of last semester, you know, the biggest challenge that they had was kind of, you know, something was happening in their life and they had three or four assignments due and they just weren't emailing professors and saying, like, I need an extra week. I need an extra two weeks, right? And and from a professor standpoint, all I heard from from my colleagues was that we were we were giving universal extensions. You know, we under we are we understand what is going on in our lives and what is going on in everyone else's lives, and everyone understands that this is a a stressful, atypical, ecological niche that we're all within right now. And we all have to be flexible. The same way our employers are flexible with us, we're having to we joyfully are being flexible with students so for me I think the the biggest thing you can do is always be honest if you if you needed a few extra moments if you need an extra week if you are struggling with a deadline if you need more time I just think just 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 tell a professor tell me tell a professor and and they they, they will accommodate you because you know we, we we are having to be flexible here and, and we should be um, and the only other thing I'd say is that without this face-to-face -face interaction you know, being able to do hands-on learning and some of the activities that we've always done with these courses, you know, maybe sometimes those theories, they're not quite clicking the way they are. You know, maybe it's not all coming together how it should. And again, the answer there is honesty. Sending an email and saying you don't get it. Jumping on a Zoom to talk about something properly. I think the fact that we've lost face-to-face -face conversation just puts more pressure on the need for kind of virtual interaction as much as we can in as many varied forms as we can. Um, so in terms of learning, I mean, I'll do the best I can with the with the course that I'm developing and the assignments that we set. And and if if students just can honestly tell me when they need more or they need help or they need me to change something, that's the best thing we can do until we're allowed back into the into the classroom together next semester. So those are the three questions this week. I, I had a few kind of around the areas and I kind of grouped them into those those three broad broad topics and hopefully as the contents gets more exciting and we start digging into the theories and the history and the misconceptions we can uh, we can find a couple questions each week that I can kind of just uh, sit here in my on a Sunday evening and uh, provide some answers to so thank you very much I thank you very much for week one I hope you really enjoyed it I hope you're excited for week two uh, I'm looking forward to releasing those materials tomorrow and seeing you on Thursday so have a lovely evening and enjoy <laughs>